Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Good. Thanks for answering. I'm, I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to stand uh, just uh, in this place at Calvary Church in front of some of the greatest people on earth. Whether you are in person or online, you are among the best, and I'm so excited just to have this opportunity to share from God's Word today. One of the things about life that uh, we can often experience but don't always put on display or talk about is moments whenever our expectations do not align with reality. Have you ever experienced something like that? Well, I recently came upon this little article online that was showing some people who set out to bake some birthday cakes and they went on, maybe you've ever done this, they went online looking for different recipes or maybe just different cake styles of what they could do, how they could decorate this cake to make the perfect one for their kids. Uh, And they tried and they did not, their expectations of what the cake would have looked like did not meet reality. So I pulled a couple of these pictures I wanna show you today. The first one, there was a family who was trying to make a cake that looked like a hedgehog. Look at that, isn't that? That's cute, it's a cute little hedgehog cake. Um, But in reality, what they ended up getting was a lot different. I'm not sure whose grandpa's teeth are in that cake, um, but that, that cake looks like it needs a little bit more than just like a new baker. It needs a dentist as well. Uh, another one, the next one that I've got for you, this family, they had a little boy, loved Star Wars, and so they wanted to make him this culinary confection that resembles the beloved Wookiee Chewbacca, and what they ended up getting was... Looked like somebody burnt a Yorkshire Terrier and then threw it in a bath, I don't know. But uh, that is not, not what they set out trying to make. The next one I've got for you, this one is just you know, a, a little girl. She, man, she wanted an Ariel cake. Uh, who doesn't want an Ariel cake? But what her parents ultimately made for her, oh my gosh, that one has been sitting under the sea for a little while, if you know what I mean. That's, that is not good, no, 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 not pretty. Um, but sometimes in life, you know, there, there are moments where we set out to try to make something beautiful, and it doesn't turn out the way we expected. There's other times whenever we have great expectations for things in life, and things just don't pan out the way that we wanted. You know, I have three incredible kids. Uh, I've been married to my wife for nine years now. Uh, we've just, we've, we're, we, I love the life that we've been able to build, and whenever each of our kids were born, we had these moments where we're like, you know what, let's prioritize getting some uh, newborn photos taken. Have you guys ever seen anybody that does the newborn family photos? So we would have our uh, photographer, uh, we, some, sometimes we would go to where they are, other times we had them come to our house, um, but they would take these pictures of our family and then take the pictures of our newborn babies. And pictures are a unique thing. I'll show you guys an example of one of those pictures. This is my family. Uh, that's, this is one of the good ones, y'all. So uh, there's, uh, that's my oldest, that's Clover. And then my middle child with the orange hat on, that's Goldie. And then right there, the baby in my wife's arm, that is our newest addition as of November. And that is our son, Summit. So we're blessed with two beautiful girls. And I finally got my boy. And that photo shoot there, what you see is the expectation. That's what we wanted. We wanted a whole lot of that happy family photos. 
But the reality is, is there's a lot of photos. We got more photos that we did not purchase. We got more photos that we did not share with the world than what you would think. Here's an example of some of those. Uh, yeah, here's one. I did not purchase this one. You can see the photographer's watermark, so she's getting some advertisement today because I did not buy this photo. But Goldie is crawling all over my lap. Clover is choking me out. I don't have a good look on my face. And then my son is just barely hanging on there, okay? Uh, the next one, this is another bad one. It's my wife. She's getting licked by my daughter. And then, I don't know if you can see this or not, but, but Goldie's sitting on her lap, not looking at the camera. And we had to continually give her cookies just to try to get her to smile for the next one. So she's holding those cookies in her hand. Uh, here's one more, just a bad photo that we didn't buy. I am in the process of getting my hair ripped out by my daughter. We thought it'd be cute for her to be up on my shoulders. Clover is eating her cookies and trying to run away. And Summit is just kind of sitting there squinting because he's all bunched up because we're distracted by the other two. Expectation was perfect family photos. Reality <laughs> it was stressful, man. These, this was a really hard photo shoot that we had to be a part of. And today we're talking, uh, our sermon series that we've been in is called Christmas in July. Christmas in July. And, and today specifically, we're going to be talking about the Magi. If you don't know the, the word Magi, then maybe you've heard a song about three kings, we three kings of Orient. Sometimes in, we refer to these guys in translations of the Bible as the wise men. And so we're going to be talking about these men today. And the Christmas story recorded by Matthew, uh, there we see these details surrounding Jesus' birth that are not recorded in any of the other Gospels. So like, you know, the, the Gospels would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and they all tell us very similar stories, but Matthew tells us different details than what Luke so famously tells us. In, in my house growing up, every single Christmas, before we would open up any presents as a, as a kid, and we've adopted this into adulthood with my family, we would always open the Bible to, to Luke, and we would read the Christmas story before we open any presents. And the, the Christmas story that Luke records is different than the Christmas story that Matthew records. Matthew tells a story of some visitors that come from the east. He tells of these magi, or Luke tells of the shepherds and the angels. And so um, whenever my wife and I, we first got married, it's our, we got married in May, and so when December rolls around, it's our first Christmas as a married couple, uh, I really set out to get her something special. And I was like, okay, you know, like there's, there's, there's good gifts, like things that she might want or things that she might need, but like this Christmas, our first one together, I want to give her an heirloom. Like I want to give her something that we can set up and use every year of our marriage. And so uh, I set out, and, and I was late to the party on this because that's just the way that, that I operate. I'm like Mr. Last Minute. And, uh, and I went out to all these different stores, and I'm shopping, and I'm looking for just the perfect nativity set. And I thought, you know, if I can just get her something nice, get her a nice nativity set, it might not be like, you know, the thing that she most wanted, but it's something that we can use forever and know that every year of our married life, we have set up this exact same nativity set. I thought it'd even be something cool that like our kids could pass down. Maybe you have something like that in your family. Anybody out here own a nativity set? You know, maybe it goes up on your mantle or someplace where hopefully your kids don't break it. I feel like every year I keep putting mine up higher and higher. That way... Um, that way my, my kids don't break it and it can actually be something that we pass down. But if, you've, if you're familiar with the nativity scene, there's a lot of things that traditionally are seen in that nativity. Typically, there's some sort of stable structure that, to kind of represent the location where Jesus was born. You'll always find baby Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. 
You'll typically find Mary, and she'll either be standing there with her hands folded praying, or maybe she'll be kneeling, uh, looking adoringly over into the, into the manger to see baby Jesus. You'll often see Joseph depicted. You'll typically have at least like a cow or a sheep, or maybe there's some camel there awkwardly looking in. Uh, you'll typically see some shepherds to stand there with the sheep as they kind of gaze from the outside. Uh, you'll typically see uh, three wise men dressed in really fancy robes, and all of these wise men have their gifts. That's honestly a lot of people's expectation of what this scene looked like the night that Jesus was born. But the reality of the story, as we just kind of dig into the history of what happened on the night that Jesus was born, is that it probably didn't look exactly like most people expect. We exchange Christmas cards all the time that have this picture on it of, of all of these people gathering together. And maybe if you have the right artist, there could even be a little drummer boy standing outside. But uh, the, not everybody that we sing about and about the Christmas story was actually present there on the night that Jesus was born. So for these wise men, as we kind of dive into the story, there is some expectation reality moments that, that we kind of have to face. Like, oh, so these wise men probably weren't actually there the very night that Jesus was born. But then there's also some expectation versus reality moments that the wise men themselves experienced. And so we're going to dive in uh, just to, to the story. It's found in the book of Matthew, starting in chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 and 2 right now. And it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So here we are at the beginning of Matthew chapter two. And, and Matthew, as he's writing this, he's setting up this, the birth narrative of Jesus and, and the birth narrative of Jesus is really important because one of the things that, that the Gospels are trying to do is they're trying to, to share the, the truth about Jesus. But talking about Jesus' birth is, is, is unique. You know, it's, it's something that not a lot of people are there to, to be a witness of. And so, you know, the, the world might be looking in like, was this really uh, a virgin birth? Did this really happen in such a way? And so, so people are really asking, you know, can I get a witness? But, and here's Jesus, or here's Matthew as he's writing this, and he's saying, yeah, there were witnesses, and here they are. And the Magi were some of those witnesses. And and so we have these men. Some people call them wise men. Uh, some people refer to them as, as magi, like we said. Uh, some people refer to them as kings. But, but really, as we dive into this, who were these guys? Who were these magi? Who were these visitors from the east? Um, and so some of the things that we can know about these guys... We know for certain that these guys came from, from the east. We know that they were from far off lands. Uh, we know for certain that these were powerful figures in, in society at that time and that their power was not just limited to one geographical region, that, that whenever these guys showed up places, that they didn't just come with, with money. We know that they didn't just show up with uh, just themselves. You know, like honestly, myself for a lot of time, when I would think back just to, or just kind of picture the story in my mind, I would just imagine these three guys riding on dusty camels by themselves alone, and here they are. They show up, ta-da, Jesus, we brought you gifts. In reality, these guys were powerful figures, and they probably traveled with an entourage. Like, they probably had protection with them. They probably had people who would serve them along with them. When these guys would show up in town, they were people who were respected. These were people who had, uh, they had, throughout history, they had knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures, and they also served in royal courts as advisors. These were people who, whenever they showed up and whenever they spoke, 
people listened. Uh, the fact that we, we understand that these guys had knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures because they were paying attention to the stars. These men were astrologers. The things that were happening in the, in the night sky were important to them. They paid close attention to what was going on. So the, the reality of these magi might be different than what many people perceive today, but that in no way changes the significance of their story or its importance in the inclusion of the birth narrative of Jesus. Interestingly, the wise men, they experienced this expectation reality moment themselves as we see continue to unfold in the text. So in Matthew chapter two, this is verses three and six, it says this. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So here in this text, what we have going on, just from like the beginning till now, just through these first six verses, is we have these, these magi, these, these visitors from the east, these, these wise men, and they are looking to the stars, and they see a sign of great significance and importance. And they understand, because of their knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures, that what has just taken place is an answer it is the culmination of a prophecy from long ago. It's interesting that, that as we kind of look through, ha through, through history, we can see that these magi have a connection to, to things that were, were going on uh, in, in Babylon. And as you look back through the history of Babylon, there was a man who God used in an incredible way to speak to kings, specifically King Nebuchadnezzar. And that man goes by the name of Daniel. And if you're familiar with this story at all, Daniel was a prolific man of faith. And Daniel interpreted a dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. And whenever Daniel interpreted the dream for King Nebuchadnezzar and everything came to be, Daniel was put in charge of the Magi in that area. And so it's possible that a man of faith from long ago treasured and cherished these scriptures and these prophecies foretelling of a savior who would come to redeem the world. And that these men of the East who were pagans, who were Gentiles, they looked at the Hebrew texts. They looked at the verses that were important to Daniel and had great respect for them. So when they looked to the stars and they saw something change and they saw something of significance, the weight and the gravity of that event that took place was something worth traveling very far to go see. This birth of the Messiah was worth spending years on the road traveling. So, uh, so we have the Magi, and they, they travel, and they arrive in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital city, and they follow this star to see this newborn king. It's by no surprise that these men, when they enter the capital city, they gain access to the king himself, and they're standing in his courts. And they gain this audience with King Herod, and they ask him, so where is this one born king of the Jews? Where is this new Messiah? And Herod does a really good job in this moment kind of playing it cool because he has no idea what these men are talking about. So he kind of says like, oh yeah, yeah, the Messiah. Okay, just, just one minute. If you guys just wait here and enjoy some of the charcuterie board that we've put out for you. And I'm gonna go step over here with my uh, advisors. And 
So he goes and he, he gathers his own kind of posse of wise men. He's like, okay, what are these guys talking about? As the men in the room that he gathered, there, there are people who were study, they were students of the law and, and they were priests and, and high priests. And these guys were easily able to kind of listen to what he was saying. And they're like, Herod, he must be referring to the prophecies of old, as we just read here. This here, uh, verse six, is a direct reference from a prophecy from Micah chapter five. And, and so they understand that, that okay, so if, if this is what these guys are looking for, then we know that the Messiah, we know that this new king must have been born in Bethlehem. And so the conversation kind of unfolds a little bit more between Herod and the Magi. But what happens is the Magi are sent out, and they are looking for this new Messiah. So they leave this place, and, 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 and I want to just kind of like pause here and just point this out. So, so expectations versus reality. These wise men from the east, these magi, they set out on a long journey with great expectations. They didn't set out looking for a stable. What they set out looking for was a king, and they searched for him in the largest city in the area. And they gained access to the king himself because surely if a new Messiah was to be born, he's going to have some sort of grand entrance to the world that people in the region are going to know about. They searched for this new king at a palace. But ultimately, as we know, as the story unfolds, where they found Jesus was in a much lowlier place. So this begs the question, as we just kind of observe the story up until this point right now, their expectations were very different than reality. Have you ever been searching for a star in your life, but whenever you reach the moment of reality, you find yourself at something much different than what you set out for? Have you ever set out with great expectations, as I'm sure that these, these wise men were as they made this long journey to Jerusalem? I'm sure that they spent many nights wondering and anticipating what it's gonna be like whenever they meet this Messiah and this new king, where they're gonna find him, what kind of uh, the things are gonna be on the charcuterie boards. Like, like they're, they're probably imagining this grand event taking place, but whenever they find Jesus, where they find him is much different. What do you do in life when you're searching for a star and instead you find a stable? Sometimes we set out a course that we think is, this is written in the stars, but ultimately what we find is something that we perceive to be a failure or a disappointment. What do you do in life when your expectations don't align with reality? Uh, a couple, actually this was um, about a year ago, my, my family and I, we set out for a family vacation. We had never had one of this magnitude where everybody had gotten together uh, to go to a, a central place and just kind of relax and have fun. And uh, we were all on a trip to Orlando, Florida, and we were visiting the happiest place on earth. And that's uh, a place where they, they give you big ears if you don't know what I'm talking about. But um, we, were, we were on a family trip to Disney World. And, uh, you know, just I'll never forget before we go to this trip the expectations that we had. Like, like my wife put hours and hours and hours into planning what we're going to do, where we're going to eat, what we need to see, where, where we need to go. Like every little uh, detail, she was just managing, like just ironing it out and planning it and just, just kind of pouring over these details for months and months and months leading up to this trip. Because it was her idea, like, I want everybody to have the best time possible. 
We've got this big group. There's a lot of people going. But the reality is of this trip is that we had so many people that there were very, very, very many moments where it was like we are at the happiest place on earth and nobody is happy. Have you ever experienced a moment like that? Like our plans were so grand and we just thought that this is gonna be the best trip ever. And there were moments, absolutely, I am so grateful and thankful for that trip and we made some memories that I'll cherish forever. But there were moments that were just like, get me out of here. Like, like reality does not always align with our expectations. But maybe there's, there's moments like that that you've had, but maybe there have been some disappointments that you have experienced in your life that are far more serious. Maybe you married what you believe to be the love of your life and expected to be married to that person until death do us part. But today is so much different than anything you ever thought it would be. Maybe you did all that you could to raise your kids right or to train up your children in the way that they should go. But today you don't see the fruit of your labor and you aren't very pleased with their adult choices. Maybe you had big plans for your future, but due to whatever circumstances um, or choices, you feel like you will never achieve or see those dreams become a reality. Maybe you desperately desire to become a parent and the thought of infertility never crossed your mind. But unfortunately, that's the reality that you face today. Maybe you loved and trusted someone and shared deep parts of yourself with them, made sacrifices for them, and they broke your trust and hurt you in a major way. Maybe you had a friend that you thought would always be by your side, but ultimately, for whatever reason, they walked away. Maybe you've experienced the sting of death and your present reality still seems unimaginable. Maybe life has thrown you some life-altering circumstances that have just led you to feeling disappointment. There are so many disappointments that we can face in this life that I could spend the rest of our time talking about different scenarios, but it would be foolish for me to assume that, that there is anybody in this room that has not made it to today without experiencing a severe disappointment in life. What do we do when our expectations don't align with reality? How do we deal with disappointment as a Christian? Uh, back in November, uh, my wife and I, like I, I showed you the picture of our family, we welcomed our son into this world, and uh, man, having kids was, was an experience for me. Uh, our, when we, at the time we started having a family, was right on the heels of some incredible personal family loss and grief. And I, I had just come out of a season where I lost my dad. And so, you know, when, when we find out we're going to have a baby, there's a lot of emotions there. Because it's like, oh man, I get to become a dad and I have nobody to ask about this event. So there was some disappointment there. Uh, but, but then I, I also think like, okay, this is written in the stars almost. Like my season of being, uh, you know, a son to a great dad is now over. But... Now I get to take this mantle upon myself and become a great dad to a son. I showed you the picture. <laughs> I didn't have a son first. I had a daughter. And honestly, like, if, if I'm being real, I, I'll tell you straight up, I would not trade either of my girls for all the boys in the world. I love being a girl dad. But when I first found out like, that Clover was going to be a girl, 
Truth be told, the, the first ultrasound we had, they told us that it's probably a boy, but they couldn't say for certain because she was being shy. And so uh, we were, I was all excited. I'm like, yeah, no, 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 duh. Like, God, I already know. Like, I, I already know. It has to be a boy. I found out Clover was going to be a girl. I was like, oh, uh, all right. Like, I had to take a couple minutes to myself to process what was going to happen. I'm so thankful for my little girl. I'm so thankful for Clover. But then round two, we're, we're pregnant again. Here comes, here comes my next daughter. And again, I thought, all right, you know, first one was a girl, and that's exactly what I needed. But here's, here's my God. He's coming through. Here's my boy. Sure enough, we uh, get the ultrasound results back, and it's a girl again. I'm like, okay. Cool, they get to be sisters, that's what's up. Like, another girl, I did it once, I'm gonna do it again, it's gonna be great. I love Goldie, I love my middle daughter, wouldn't trade her for anything, 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 anything. So third time's the charm, right? So, and it definitely was, I finally got my boy. And, and you know, God did me a favor on this one, I'll never forget, we, we, we go to the, the room for the ultrasound, and like, at this point in my life, I'm like, you know what, I just expect it to be a girl. Like, that is my expectation, I've been here once, been here twice, I know the story, I'm just gonna be a girl dad, it's just who I must be. And so they take the little uh, ultrasound thing, and as soon as they placed it uh, on, on my wife's belly, they hit the money spot. He wasn't being shy. I didn't even need the nurse to tell me. I knew what I was looking at, and I was having a boy. And, uh, and so, man, it was, it was like excitement, almost like, whoa, no way. I get to do this. The journey begins. And, man, we are on a journey with him. I'll never forget, like we, we, you know, we're in excitement, my wife's in labor, we, we pull into the hospital, I, I park the car, and, and I remember like looking in the back and, and seeing his little car seat set up, and I'm like, this is going to be so great, like the next time I'm in this, this vehicle, my son is going to be in the back seat of the car. Expectation, reality was very different. When we got to the hospital shortly after my son was born, we noticed that he was really struggling to breathe. And the, the breaths in, breaths out, it wasn't quite normal, and he needed a little bit of assistance. So they put him on a little machine for a little bit and got everything regulated. And we're like, oh, okay, awesome, perfect, this is great. And whenever all of like the, the kind of chaos surrounding like giving birth takes place, kind of calms down, they, uh, we got my son all swaddled up and, and we, we laid him in his bassinet and my wife and I like, all right, finally we can sleep. It's been stressful. It's been a long, long day. Uh, we can finally rest. He starts to cry out at his crib and I'm like, oh, well, let me go be a dad. And so I, I walk over, I scoop him up. I'm sitting in the rocking chair and I'm holding him. And as I'm holding my son, he starts to get really stiff and he starts to turn a different color, and, uh, and, and he was not breathing. For whatever reason, he was not breathing. And so we, we hurried and we called the nurses. God did us a favor uh, in the entire hospital here in Toledo with their multiple hallways. For whatever reason, the night that my son was born, we were the only family that was in labor and delivery that night. And so every single nurse and doctor that was available could give us their 100% attention. These episodes of my son stopping breathing continued to happen all through the night. And ultimately, it led with him having to be taken by ambulance to Toledo Hospital, where he spent some time in the NICU until they could get things figured out or get things regulated. I am forever grateful for every doctor and for every nurse who took care of us during that season of time. 
uh, I, am, I am blown away with gratitude for the people who we met in that season. But I will never, ever, ever forget the disappointment and the feelings whenever we got in that vehicle and I looked back and I saw the empty car seat. My expectation was so high and reality was very, very painful. What do you do in life when you're searching for a star and you find a stable? As we continue with the story of the Magi, the way in which that they respond when they arrived at the place that Jesus was, was provides us with an incredible template that we can use in any season of disappointment. Matthew 2, 9 through 10, we're kind of skipping a little bit in the story of the details that, that refer to Herod and, and what Herod did after the Magi left, but it's, this is the Magi upon arriving at the place where Jesus was. It says, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And so here's our first response. When we uh, experience disappointment, we can combat that disappointment with rejoicing. When the wise men saw the place where the star was, they were overjoyed. And think back with me. These wise men set out, going to the capital city, expecting a palace, expecting probably this person to be born into some sort of royalty, expecting some sort of like, like maybe they were expecting some sort of like grand entrance, some sort of grand meeting hall. I don't necessarily know all the details that they were expecting, but I know that it wasn't small. But the reality is whenever they arrived at the place that Jesus was, they arrived not at a king's house, but at a carpenter's house. The expectation that they had did not align with reality. They see the place where the star settled and they rejoice. They rejoice. How often in life do you meet somebody? How often in life do you personally combat your disappointments with rejoicing? We are not always in control of our circumstances, but the one thing that we can control is how we respond to our circumstances. When I was a kid, uh, there was a day where I was, I think I was home alone with my dad. And my dad had to do some work. He was working from home that day. And, um, and so I was just, just kind of bored, you know, like I was just, just bored, looking for something to do. And so I had this idea on my own. I'm gonna, I'm gonna create a lemonade stand. Like I'm gonna go make some money today. And so I go out and I grab a table from the garage and I set it by the road and I run into the kitchen and I grab a pitcher and I take these packets of Kool-Aid, lemonade flavor Kool-Aid, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, not the, like, the, the scooped stuff that's already prepared and everything you need is mixed in. This is just the lemon part, okay? And, and I take those packets, rip them open, dump it in, put some water, put some ice, grab some cups and run out to the side of the road and I start selling that stuff. The people laughing know what's up. I did not put sugar in that lemonade. It was all lemon, no aid, all right? Like, like that's what I was serving to people on the side of the road. And there was this one lady who pulls up in a big van, and the more that I think about the story, the creepier it is, but she pulls up in this big van, and it's like full of all these kids, and, and she's like, oh, I'm so thankful you're doing this today. We are so thirsty. We were just looking for something to drink. And here you are. And I'm just like, this is strange, but whatever. Like, so I start serving up like 10 cups of lemonade because it was a whole van full of these little children. And, 
And so I'm giving them lemonade and everybody's just so grateful, so thankful. And, and they had the best attitude because I had no idea that, that the lemonade was just all lemon, no aid. Like I had no idea how disgustingly bitter that this was. And they're like taking it, they're sipping it, like, yeah, right on, like, thank you. And, and uh, like uh, this, this is the weird part too, like they drove off, they overpaid for that lemonade too, by the way. Like I think I was charging like 25 cents a cup. They gave me like a $10 bill and I'm like, sweet. And, and they drive off, and I do remember she circled the block and looked at me, you know, kind of funny out the window, like, what is this kid doing? But, but my, my dad came out after he was kind of done doing some of his work. He's like, hey, cool, how much have you made? He's like, I'll buy a cup of lemonade, puts the quarter in the jar, I serve him up a cup, and he's like, oh, like, what are you doing? And he felt so bad for me because I had no idea what I was doing. But, but think back to this lady, okay? Her expectation was, man, I'm thirsty, and I want a refreshing drink. But the reality of what she got was seriously disappointing. But she couldn't, she could have reacted and she could have thrown the lemonade in my little face and be like, oh my eyes. And she could have done a whole lot of things. She could have demanded her money back. But she responded to that disappointment with a whole lot of grace. We can't, we're not always in control of our circumstances, but we can control how we respond. I want to encourage you, whenever you face disappointment, look for the good in the circumstances. See, uh, like, like there are so many opportunities that we face where we just can only, we, we just hyperfixate almost on the negative. We hyperfixate on what's wrong, but I want to encourage you not only to look for the good, but to look for the God in the circumstance. You see, I think that's what the Magi understood when they reached that stable that day, or they reached that, that house where Jesus was born, or where Jesus was. Like when they got there, they weren't just looking at the circumstances for face value. They were looking at a kingdom value. They were looking at a global perspective, what this king was going to do. You can't always control your circumstances, but you can control how you respond. The next thing in Matthew 2, verse 11, and this is the first half of verse 11, it says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They bowed down and worshiped. This is our next response. How can we combat disappointment in our life? We combat disappointment with worship, with worship. For some of you, for some of us, for myself at times, I've allowed the disappointments that I have faced to keep me from God. Sometimes when I'm faced with disappointment, when my expectations don't align with reality, the last thing that I want to do is worship. The last thing that I want to do is bow down. The last thing I want to do is seek God. But here we see these wise men amidst the disappointment that they might have experienced. They bow down and worship. The words, if we get into the original languages, this is written, and when it talks about worship, this is like a on-the-ground worship of Jesus. They are so grateful for what they had just discovered. It might not have looked the way that they had thought, but they were able to see into the future, not, not literal, like, but they were able to, to look past the current circumstances and see what Jesus was going to do in the future. One of the most significant ways that we can connect to God is through worship. I'm so thankful to go to, to Calvary, where we have such an incredible uh, worship team that leads us week in and week out. But worship is not just something that we do on the weekends. Worship is an attitude that we get to participate in throughout the week. When you face disappointment, do you wait till Sunday to finally worship Jesus? If you're going through something in life, 
I know it might be challenging, and I know sometimes it might be the last thing you wanna do, but find a way to connect with God in worship. What would it look like if every time, as Christians, as followers, and people who love Jesus, if we went through something, instead of getting bitter and depressed and down and angry, we took time to get alone with Jesus. We have the opportunity to worship our way out of circumstances, to praise God in the storms of life. In the second half of Matthew chapter two, verse 11, it says, then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The last thing that these men did here with Jesus is they opened up and they gave. They gave. They presented Jesus with treasure. They didn't give him this treasure because they were like, oh, you know, we, he's isn't a kingdom like we expected, and you know, he's, his dad's a carpenter, and he's probably struggling to make ends meet, so let's just give him a little bit to help him get by. No, they lavishly gave, not out of need, but they were going to give even if they found Jesus at a palace. And so like, and so when I'm talking about like we can combat disappointments in life by giving, I'm not just talking about money, okay? I'm not just talking about showing up and putting money in the plate, and that's gonna help you get through the disappointments in life. But what I'm talking about is, is there are more ways to give than just financially. Maybe in some of the circumstances that you are facing and in some of the dis disappointments, whether they be like relationally, interpersonally, whatever the disappointments are that you face in life, maybe you just need to keep showing up. Maybe there is somebody who has hurt you who has betrayed you, who has let you down, and who has caused you disappointments that you feel like you completely don't deserve. And maybe one of the ways that we can combat the disappointments that we feel related to that situation is just simply to keep giving. There's three primary ways that we give. One of those is with our time, another is with our talents, and lastly is with our treasure. I believe that, that in different situations, God could be calling and speaking to some of you to give. How can we give in these circumstances? Uh, and, and the cool thing about giving is that I believe this is something that Jesus fully understands how to do. John three sixteen through 18, this is one of the most famous verses in all of scripture, and if you have it memorized, you can at least say John three sixteen with me, and I'll read the rest. But for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. For God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus himself knows what it's like to give to those who don't deserve it. Jesus himself knows what it's like to give even when it's painful. He displayed what it's like to give through disappointment on the grandest level. And I am personally so thankful that he did. Because of the fact that Jesus gave to me, despite my failures, my continued failures and faults, I get to receive eternal life through him. 
that same gift of eternal life because Jesus gives to you, is available to you as well. Thank you, Jesus, for modeling giving in a way that is beyond compare. Here's something I really want you to understand when you face disappointment in life. What do you do when you're searching for a star and you find a stable? You need to understand that what you might interpret to be a disappointment might just be a divine appointment for your life. You see, we have these magi, and we have Herod, and we have the Jewish people of that day and age. All of them are the key players in this story that we find at the very beginning of Matthew's birth narrative of Jesus. And they all play different roles, and they all have different responses to the disappointments that they experienced in this story. Firstly, we have Jerusalem. We have the Jews. They had sight. You see, they had knowledge of the ancient scriptures, but when they learned, because, because the Magi came before the high priest, and they're like, hey, we saw this sign, this prophecy's been fulfilled. Where's the Messiah? How did the Jews respond? They responded with apathy. They responded with disappointment. Oh, that's not how we expected our king to come. Surely this can't be the Messiah. Yeah, that, that event might have taken place and these things might be being fulfilled, but this isn't our expectation and so we're just gonna reject the reality. You have King Herod. Herod also had sight. He was able to use the people around him to understand what was going on and who was just born into this world. But Herod only had sight of what he, was, what he stood to lose. The power that was within his hands when he heard of this new Messiah, when he heard of this new king, he was afraid that everything he had, he was gonna lose it. And so Herod responds with hostility. The verses in between, the ones that we read, we see Herod respond in, in such a way where he, he secretly finds out when this star had arose and he literally goes on a murder spree killing every single baby boy born within the last two years because he felt threatened by the power of Jesus. He felt, he felt like Jesus' presence might threaten his kingdom. He saw everything that he can control and wanted to hold on to it. He responded with hostility to the disappointment that he feared could happen and him losing control. And lastly, we have the Magi. They have vision. They had the ability to see beyond the stable before, they had the ability to see beyond the carpenter's house before them, and they focused on where Jesus would one day go, and they focused on what he would one day do. You see, I, I shared about the story of my son, and when we finally got out of the NICU, I'm thankful. If you, had, if you prayed for us in that season, thank you, because people started to pray for my son to breathe. And we don't medically know what happened. We don't necessarily know, like we don't have answers. Oh, he had this, 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 and that's what, and this is what happened. It was this medicine, it was that procedure. We have no answers medically. But spiritually, I know that God's people prayed and my little boy was healed. And within the week, we got to take him home. But as the, the days, the months of, and just, you know, the, the, just kind of de-stressing, you know, when you go through something really stressful, you can kind of stay pent up for a little bit. And, and as like, we just kind of started to unwind and we, we got him home and we're, you know, trying to figure out life with three kids. That's crazy, by the way. If you have more than three, holy moly, I need to, I mean, I don't want to talk to you. I hope I don't get there. But uh, anyway, 
we, we, we get our son home and we're, we're adjusting to life. And, um, you know, we're just, we're just thankful that we got to bring our son home. And I had this experience right here on this stage, probably standing right about here. Several months ago, uh, I got the opportunity to pray for one of my friend's uh, little girls. She was being dedicated to the Lord in, in one of our services that we do. And man, it was a special moment. I love getting to do that. And he and his wife are standing there and they're holding their little girl. And the way that they were holding her, she was kind of like on the shoulder and her little face popped over and she was just looking at and I'll never forget the moment where I was just, I'm praying and I kind of opened my eyes a little bit. I saw that she was looking at me and I'm like, oh, that is so sweet. You know, so I'm still praying for her, but we've just got this really cute eye contact moment and I'm just loving it. And when I finished praying over her life, the thought hit me. You know, my son's a little bit older than her. He's never looked at me like that. And where we've been post NICU to now, we don't have all the answers, but we know that my son has vision that is not typical. And we don't necessarily know how much he can see. We know that there's some issues with the development of his optic nerve. That's the data cable that kind of sends messages from your eyes to your brain and says, this is what you're looking at. But my son has never been able to look me in the eyes or to look at things directly. And in the, when I started to realize this, and as doctor's visits happened, and, and we would go in, and we would leave, and I started to learn, you know, it's like, I have a son. I have what I prayed for and hoped for. But there were a lot of expectations that I had surrounding, like, I finally have my boy, that might not ever get to be a reality. There's a lot of things that I would love to do with him but unless God intervenes and his vision is, 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 is corrected or, or healed by some means, I might not ever get to do. And I, I, I spent, and I still spend hours and hours praying over my son. When he sleeps, when he plays, I just sit there and I pray. And I've been struggling with this, guys. I've really been struggling with this because I want the best for my kids. And I want things to be the way that I think they should be. I want to live out my expectations. And there was a moment where God dropped this into my heart and I came to the conclusion where I understand that there is a difference between sight and vision. You see, I don't know how good my son's sight is. I pray and I believe for a miracle over that kid. And if you wanna join me in praying for a miracle for my son's eyes, please do. We welcome the prayers. I believe that one day people won't be able to tell that there was ever anything non-typical with his eyesight. But even if he can see or can't see, whether he has 20-20 vision or, or strained vision, I am gonna raise my son with vision for his life. You see, there are people that walk through this world who can see things perfectly as they are, but they have no vision. They have no vision. Don't be a person who just looks at what is before you. Be a person that sees God through the circumstances. What does God want to do through your life? What has Jesus done for your life? 
how can Jesus take this disappointment before you and let's see the divine appointment that God has before you. There is a plan, there is a purpose for my son's life and I will live every single day that I have breath to help him to understand the vision, not that he can see or can't see or what it is, but the vision that God has for him because it's greater than anything that, that perfect eyes could see in this world. God, help us today to look beyond the stables that we might find before us, God, help us to look beyond the disappointments that we might encounter in this life. God, I pray that you help us to rejoice despite the circumstances. God, would you help us to worship you even when we don't feel like it? Lord, would you enable us to give to people who have hurt us? God, would you help us to give to people who don't deserve it? Lord, thank you for modeling this for us. God, thank you for going first. Thank you for giving the most. Thank you for loving us despite our own failures. Maybe you're out here today and your disappointments in life have kept you from Jesus. Maybe you're here today and because of the disappointments you felt, because of the things that you've experienced, because of choices, made by yourself or others, you've disconnected, you've unplugged from God. But for some reason, you are watching today. You are here today. If that's you, and with every head bowed and eye closed, I believe today is the day for somebody to say, Jesus, I need you again. Jesus, I want to reconnect with you again as I pray for you if that's you and you need to begin or begin again a relationship with Jesus Christ in your own words and in your own way would you pray and invite God back into your life or into your life for the first time Heavenly Father God we love you Lord we're thankful that you came and you lived a sinless life and that you gave it all so that we could be forgiven. God, forgive us of the times and the moments where we allowed our disappointments to separate us from you. God, forgive us for the times that we have ignored your truth. Forgive us of the times that we looked at the stables in life and we, didn't, we took our eyes off of who you are and what you wanna do through those circumstances. God, I pray today that you bless your people. God, I thank you for the work you're doing in their lives. And we ask that you continue to move, speak, and inspire. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. Well, church, it's been an honor. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to share with you all today. God has great things in store, so go out and be a world changer. God bless.